Marvelites, welcome to episode number 356 of This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent Grunge. <laughs> and uh, we're recording a little intro early this week because Jamie and I are heading to Seattle. Yes, land of coffee beans, land of cloudy weather. Frozen tundra and the the city of lights. Moody music. The city of broken dreams. I don't, I literally have no information about Seattle aside from Pearl Jam is from, sort of from there. And Nirvana, dude. It's where grunge was born. They throw fish at each other in the streets. Yes. That's a commonality about the the town. So yeah, it's great. But we're we're going to Seattle for Mopop, which is a really cool museum and they have this great Marvel exhibit, but that's not what this episode is all about. Uh-uh. We also recorded an awesome interview for you guys with uh, two special guests to celebrate Carol Danvers' 50th anniversary. We've got Sana Amanath who is co-host of Women of Marvel podcast, but also VP of Content and Creator Development, and Sarah Brunstead, who is Associate Editor on Life of Captain Marvel. This interview was such a big deal for me. It made me feel really emotional because I never realized how much I related to Carol Danvers as a character, and I'm so excited to be finding out more about her origin story and that we're all going to find out more now that we're all getting so excited about Carol and Captain Marvel. Yeah, you know, Sona has so much experience with Carol and reforming everything we know about her with so many other people, and she'll dive into all that. And then Sarah, who is really taking the reins on what the future means for Carol Danvers, it's it's great to be able to talk to them and, and dig into what Carol Danvers means to them and, and means to the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I mean, secretly, maybe I am Carol Danvers. Maybe not. No? Okay. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> check out the interview right now. Sona, Sarah, hello! Hi. Hey. I got real big right there. <laughs> I wanted to go opposite. That's probably the smart decision. Uh, so we're here to talk about Carol Danvers' 50th anniversary. Woo! Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it, it's crazy because, uh, so you, when did you start at Marvel? Me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Uh, I started, now it's been nine years. Okay. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It was my ninth year anniversary last month. I know. No one cared. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It just went right past. But, yes, I've been here now for nine years. So, nine years, that's that's what? uh, 2009? 2009, yes. so that was, yeah, starting to ramp up more and more for, for Carol at that point. Yes. And I remember when I started, it was 2006. So it was right before, it was after House of M, which was really a turning point for Carol and her career. And then with the Ms. Marvel series that launched out of Civil War and all yeah. that stuff, or right around Civil War. Yes. And then at that point, actually, we had ended up, quote unquote, canceling Ms. Marvel around, I think, 2010, 2010 or so, 2011. And then um, a couple years later, around 2012, is when this new iteration of of Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel came out. Yeah. I want to backtrack, though. Yes. Um, for, for both of you, Sarah and Sana, what was your first exposure to Carol? Sarah, when did you first, like, get introduced to her? Um, I mean, I entered superhero comics through, like, deliberately looking for um, characters that represented strength and feminism to me. So um, I started with She-Hulk, but then that naturally uh, brought me to characters like Carol. And um, I guess I started reading her really with the Miss Marvel run, um, which was really beautiful art uh, and really fun and, like, bold, superheroic stuff. Um, but definitely got excited with the Kelly Sue stuff, for sure. 
Yeah, and for me, it was actually the Brian Reed run because that's, I mean, one, that's kind of when I was entering into the world of Carol um, and also me sort of acclimating to what the tone of her universe was and also who Carol was all about. And I thought Brian really found an interesting space for that. And then I went backwards and then I started reading a lot of more of the classic run when she came out in the 60s, late 60s or so. But, you know, very different iterations (laughs) of those Carol Danvers. And then when we were working on, I guess, the new, I actually came on when Steve Wacker and Kelly Sue were developing the Captain Marvel uh, iteration and they sort of took elements of both of those runs and infused it into what I think has become the quintessential Carol Danvers character arc and storyline. Yeah. So that quintessential Carol Danvers, for me, as someone who's somewhat new to comics, I always feel like Carol Danvers as a character is like that character I keep meaning to get coffee with and we keep meaning to call each other and we just never get a chance to do it. I've found it a little hard to get started with Carol Danvers' stories. She's done so much. So how would you explain to someone who's new to comics what has been Carol Danvers' journey? Well, that's a really great question because that was the conversation and the question that we we started out with when we were trying to develop the life of Captain Marvel because she's had such a vast experience. Yeah. Like we're talking about 50 years of Carol Danvers. What does that actually mean? What is the sort of quintessential experience? How do you describe who she is? And, you know, I think fundamentally she is someone who is very unapologetic, who is really unstoppable. And she has this really tough exterior. And she's, of course, beautiful and power, all these things. But she has this, like, vulnerability to her Mm -hmm. that we wanted to explore. And when we looked at sort of the entire run of Carol Danvers, we realized we didn't really talk about, like, who she actually was as a human being. We focused so much on these Cree elements of her power set and how she her powers were activated by Marvell and all these different kinds of things and, and sort of the psych magnetron, which what is that? Is it psych or is it psyche? No one knows. And we, everyone kind of drove past that. And she's also had some kind of strange, like, you know, experiences that I think are a little controversial and that you don't really want to focus on because I think that really diminishes who she is and how and how far she's come. So we wanted to focus more on who she was, yes, as a fighter pilot and as a as a as a powerful hero, but also as as a daughter, as a sister, mm-hmm. and all of these things that she experienced. And when you look back at those runs, there was only like what maybe ten pages, maybe a full issues worth of her talking about her family. And like we think about all of our experiences in life and how much of it is defined by the people that we grew up around, whether it's our family, our friends, the people we love, who love us the people we hate, <laughs> you know, all of that, that really defines us. And I think that's where we wanted to go back to ground and and, and delve into that a little bit more. Um, for you guys personally, I'm interested to think, what do you think of Carol? Like, who is Carol Danvers to you? And I really like what you said, Sarah. Like, you were looking for this strong feminist woman who was kicking ass and doing cool stuff and having these great rich stories. Um, who is she to you? What makes her special? Well, I think that um, you see in pop culture in general, a lot of people seem to think that like with a feminist character, you can't bring them down. Like you can't show them make mistakes, for example, really big mistakes. And Carol has made some big ones. And I think um, that's part of what draws me to her is that she's this complex, incredibly stubborn character who 
wants to always do the right thing, but stumbles into the wrong thing sometimes. And so like we see people like Tony Stark have those problems all the time, but I feel like we don't see it in a lot of female characters. So I like that Carol is so um, fully fleshed out in that way. She felt like a real person who had these, you know, traumatic experiences like Rogue taking her memories. Like she has this long history, um, but ultimately she comes out as the fighter. So yeah, one panel that I did really like when I was reading some of the more recent stuff I think it was the 1998 run but she said that she's invincible but she feels like that prevents her from making mistakes and she doesn't like it like she can't be herself and I really admire that about her that she kind of wants to be checked she needs to be checked and I like that she has this rapport with Tony Stark who is just like you were describing, like on her level. Yeah. He is her peer, not a father figure, but a partner almost. And I really like that. And I think that makes her really compelling. So when she was a feminist icon in like the beginning and she was like all women's lib and she couldn't screw up and she was still sort of a shallow feminist figure yeah. really early on. Mm-hmm. This kind of just adds so much more depth to her that it's like, yeah, we're still people. Well, the, the, the anecdote that Stephen Wacker, who was the editor on Captain Marvel when I first started, used to say that he was like, you know, here's this really like powerful, almost like icon of the Marvel Universe, not just female icon, but like icon of the Marvel Universe that has been around for such a long time. And stories ended up becoming about who she was dating. Mm-hmm. And she's sitting on a couch eating ice cream and sad about the boy who just broke up with her or whatever. But, like, there's a window right next to her that she could fly out and literally, like, beat up the toughest villains in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> and yet the stories are about her sitting on her couch crying about a boy. And she and he was like, that blew my mind. Like, you know, if, if I had the power to do anything, is that something that I would be doing? And I think that's such a really great example of how the stories ended up focusing more on who she was as a pilot, who she was as a as a hero, and why I thought it was incredibly important that we ended up giving her this new look and transforming her into who she actually is. Like, she's not a woman who runs around wearing a bathing suit. And all mm-hmm. due respect to the forefathers of, of Carol Danvers and people who, who gave that very iconic look. But she is someone who dons something that is so much more in line with a fighter, someone who is in the Air Force, someone who can still look really, you know, sexy at the same time it's a uniform it's totally yeah, yeah. like you yeah. know it, it should be that and it's powerful and it's yeah. freaking awesome there's this in the brian reed stuff i was just looking at it there was a a story where there's a, an alternate universe carol who shows up and you've got our carol and rogue shows up and of course there's all this history between rogue and carol and this other at this point i think she was she was going by warbird or binary this other version and she's like, how can you be friends with with Rogue? How can you fight alongside her? And Car- our Carol's like, that was a long time ago. I've moved past it. And just that that idea of growth mm-hmm. is so important to any character. And and like you guys were saying, it's it's doubly important because we unfortunately don't always have that for our female characters. Yeah. With the whole point of a uniform is that there's a human wearing it. Yeah, and to Sarah's point, like, which I thought was such a great one, is, like, we do, like, as women, we do kind of put these really high expectations upon ourselves and these high standards. And it's society, but we do, we internalize those standards, and we think that we're not allowed to make a mistake. And because the thing is, 
it does it is different when we make a mistake right yeah. because we are highly more scrutinized whether it's you know not only like what we're doing and how well we're doing it but also it's what we're wearing and what we look like if we're pretty enough and somehow that that prettiness translates to strength for whatever reason which doesn't make any sense so there is something really cool about her storyline in particular because i do think we have to make sure that she fails sometimes do think that we have to make sure that she is probably too brazen. And because of that, ends up making mistakes that we all make. Okay. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like the vulnerability, that is why we wanted to go back, like Sona was saying, to the um, to the family story and figure out where do some of Carol's weaknesses and insecurities come from? Because she's never going to show them to the Avengers, uh, except to like her closest friends, you know, like Spider-Woman might see it. But most people are never going to see that side of Carol. So how do we put her in a place where she's forced to be emotionally vulnerable and open her up that way? Yeah, I also like that um, she's been given a sense of humor, like she's allowed to have her sense of humor, which is the classic way to break tension and admit like the best kind of humor is usually self-deprecating just to prove like yeah we're all in this together and I'm gonna make a mistake but we're gonna laugh about it and then move on so how has that evolved throughout the 50 years of Carol well I think Margie in particular has a great voice for humor uh, in Life of Captain Marvel where she's so the town that it's based on, she knows people who live in that area. The donut shop that's in the first issue is based yeah. on people that she knows. So she really has like an ear for the voice there and for the rhythms of people's speech. And I think she's been having a lot of fun uh, with the supplementary characters that we find there, like her friend, Little Lewis. There's a scene in number two of the two of them chatting it up in the donut shop. And yeah, it's just uh, I think Margie's really finding the opportunity to bring that out. Yeah, I think her sense of humor is incredibly important to who Carol is. The fact that she looks at tough situations with a wry smile, I think, is probably the best way to deal with difficult situations. Yeah. And she doesn't take herself too seriously, right? There's that line from one of Kelly Sue's books where it was uh, someone calls her lady. And it's she's like, don't lady me, son. I'm an Avenger. Which is <laughs> funny, but also like, step the hell down. Because... <laughs> I ain't having it. It is so good and sets such a great tone for who Carol is. Yeah, I think that was the, her first, the opening run. I think it, that was like the introduction to Carol yeah. as Captain Marvel. Yeah. So how long have you been working on Carol Denver stories? Uh, so I jumped on with Life of Captain Marvel and then... Uh, and then I gave her the reins. I'm like, hi, bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but obviously I've been reading it all along yeah. and uh, was really excited to finally be part of that team. What was your first book that you worked on at Marvel? So I work with Will Moss. So Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I love Will, you guys are putting out some awesome books. Will has uncanny instincts. Uh, he's amazing. So I originally worked in our trades department and then transferred over to editorial and started with books like Squirrel Girl and Black Panther uh, and Mighty Thor. Um, so this is actually a branch out of Will's office. Nice. Uh, how did Life of Captain Marvel come together? I know you probably have talked about it a bunch, but for This Week of Marvel listeners, like I'm curious... Because it feels like a a major point for Carol. Obviously, with all the stuff, she's going to be top of mind for so many people over the next year. And this feels like a really important story. What was the germ of it? So this character we've had, we've been telling stories for such a long time. We've been telling specifically Captain Marvel stories for such a long time. And I think when you need to explain to people who Carol Danvers is, 
a lot of people struggled with it. They're just like, oh, well, she's like super powerful and she's, you know, got an amazing outfit. And we wanted to be able to tell a very simplified story about all of the elements that make Carol so great and also the elements that make her um, who she is as a human being, that make her a little flawed um, and dig into that a little bit more. And because if you think about all your favorite stories about your favorite superheroes, a lot of it starts with them and their interactions with, you know, Peter Parker and Aunt May and Uncle Ben, right? And and that's kind of where we wanted to get back to. We wanted to get back to the story of Carol Danvers and whatever her iteration of Uncle Ben was. Because it's there. It's all in her history. And so we wanted to go smaller because she's constantly we were she was literally in outer space, right? For mm-hmm. multiple runs. She was running like Alpha Flight, which is Earth's first line of defense. It's like a space satellite right at that side of Earth and dealing with space aliens. And so we wanted to deal with the aspect of her that I think, quite frankly, is probably a little bit more relatable and her really crazy family dynamics. And the fact that her father was abusive, like not to get too dark, but like she had an abusive father who was a misogynist. What is up with that? And yet she became one of the most powerful heroes in the Marvel Universe. Like, what is that story? And that's kind of where it started. And we had some really great, you know, Joe Quesada was a big part of the development Mm -hmm. process as well. And um, and we brought Steve Wacker back. It's just been, I think, really fascinating for us because I think we all fell back in love with Carol with this storyline. And it's such a beautiful book. Like what Carlos Pacheco and Marguerite Sauvage are doing with the art is just absolutely stunning. Yeah, to continue on that discussion, we're seeing Carol in not her family's past, but now her family's present, Mm -hmm. which has a new dynamic with her brother, for whom she's a caretaker now. So this is something different that I don't feel like we get to see a whole lot in comics, which is our heroes dealing with their lives, like their personal lives. They're not doing heroics. They're coming back from heroics to come home what kind of loop is this throwing Carol into right now? She's, like you said, been in outer space, and now she's home. She's so grounded. Yeah. Like, it's so small and yet so huge for her. So that particular scene, and if you guys read issue one, was a pretty, like, for me it was very emotional because I'm sure everyone has dealt with their own sort of you know, difficulties in life. And I've dealt with a lot of different hospital experiences and like being pulled away and going home and understanding that like, you know, you live in a world where, especially for Carol, she's in the superhero world. Everything's important. Everything's big. Everything's bombastic. Everything is literally life-threatening. And I think I feel like that. And I think a lot of people feel like that in their everyday lives. And then you realize what's important and you go home and God forbid something bad happens and your sort of your only focus is on that moment and on that person and how everything else kind of goes to the background. And that's hard because that is your world at that moment. And then you realize what actually matters. And that's a struggle in itself. That's your challenge. That's the big bad villain, whether it's, you know, him being in that car accident, whether it's cancer, whether it's something else. Like everyone has those kinds of challenges. And the strength is that sort of everyday resilience and holding up your family and holding up yourself and still taking care of someone else. I think that is a different version of like what being a hero is all about. And that's kind of where we needed to take her because she hasn't really invested in herself and she hasn't really invested in her family in a very long time. But those moments in the hospital where she was just very, 
I don't know, calm and quiet and struggling. Normal. And then you saw time pass. And you saw time pass. Yeah. And nothing else mattered, but, you know. Your hair grew out. <laughs> I was just such an interesting way to yeah. show the, the passage of time. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm thinking about also when she is in this very normal pedestrian home life where this huge thing happens to her that is such a huge thing in your home world. Yeah. But she's still going to go back to the Avengers. She's still talking to Tony Stark. And is her relationship with Tony going to change a little bit now that she's got this sort of altered role with her brother? And dealing with her father stuff, too. Well, like Sona was saying, I think that that moment is really big for her, for her to say, I can't be with the Avengers right now. Like, it's time for you to put on your pants and go do your job. And it is absolutely a heroic choice to prioritize and say, there are many heroes out there. This is where I need to be a hero right now. Um She's definitely going to go back to the Avengers. Like, you know, she's going to be part of that team. She's one of the Marvel Universe's heavy hitters. But I definitely think that um, she's going to carry these experiences with her. And people are going to see that she's become a slightly different hero, maybe. Someone who sees individuals, not just the big picture, which is what she's always sort of zooming out towards. Um, Margie Stoll has been writing... Carol and various series for a little while now. What are your personal favorite aspects of what Margie's been doing with Carol, her voice for Carol, just what she brings to this world, this character? Uh, I mean, Margie's great with characters. Um, She's given, uh, you know, in Alpha Flight, she gave Carol a whole cast of people to play around with and to care about. I feel like that's actually been Uh, Not just Margie, but Kelly Sue did that as well, really gave us a supporting cast that we cared about a lot. And like I said, the humor aspects of it that Margie is having a lot of fun with. Yeah, and I think the thing with Carol is that, like, so much of who she is is who she surrounds herself with. Like, she is very much beloved, and that's why she's always been circled by a very, like, random group of of friends, always. Like, whether it's, like, aliens or little kids or, you know what I mean? Like, all these different kinds of people love her. Different kinds of aliens love her. And I, that, that's always where I've really, what I've loved about her is because she has so many people to bounce off of. And she shows different aspects of her personalities with both of those characters. Margie, again, has a great sense of humor. I love her interplay with Tony Stark. I think she writes Tony so well. Like, I was like, you probably write guys very well. You should be writing more stories with men in them, like, which is pretty hilarious if you know Margie. Like, she's women empowerment, everything. But I'm like, you're basically a dude. And um, she knows she she agrees. But that interplay, I think, that revealed a lot about Carol because, like, Carol and Tony have history. Like, they've been friends. Like, they've been in AA together. They, They know their stuff. And they're sort of deep, dark secrets. So the fact that she brings Tony in into these dark moments of Carol's life, I think, says so much about what Margie's strengths are about understanding that character. And I think Margie sees a little bit of herself in Carol, too, which is why it comes across so seamlessly. Yeah. I want to go back to talking a little bit about Carlos and Marguerite because, man, that art is so gorgeous. How do you guys go about casting art for a project like this? Because it is, like, so integral into who we're going to how we're going to think about Carol going forward. What was that process like? I mean, it was tough. <laughs> uh, we thought over a lot of different options, but we we knew that we wanted somebody who could draw a really classic, beautiful Carol, but also we knew we weren't going to have all of these like super huge, typical superhero moments. But there's a little bit of that, right, with the Cree cleaner and the threat uh, coming after Carol. But um, 
for the most part, we knew we wanted someone who could really capture facial expressions, who could really dig in and give us a sense of place. So after going through a lot of options, we finally hit on Carlos and instantly, I think everyone immediately was like, oh, yeah. Carlos would be great for this. Yeah. When someone offers you Carlos Pacheco on a project, you're like, you oh, don't yeah, say yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sure, we're in. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's also the, like, looking back, we did a lot of research kind of going back into Carol Danvers' history and, like, kind of looking at sort of a modern spin on her and sort of a classic spin. And we wanted the project to have a combination of those elements, like, to hone in on the nostalgia of Carol Danvers and her history and the Ms. Marvel timeline, but also have that sort of modern aesthetic and how do you and I think Marguerite captures that really well considering that the flashbacks are meant to take place in a different time period so how do you balance it so that it's not necessarily classic comics but it has the feel of it to an extent but with like Marguerite's like kind of modern color palette and texturing and things like that the coloring and the texturing is yeah. so important and works so well there yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it's it's one of those beautiful things about comic books that you just you can't get in other mediums the way those things can affect you and change the way you perceive the pages, the panels, the story. Yeah, oh, it's so the cool. little twists. That's like my favorite part about the comics process is being like, okay, this looks really cool, but can we mute the colors ever so slightly? Can we add this texture? Like, what are those elements that are going to take you take you to a time, not just a place, but take you to a time without necessarily making it seem like you're mimicking comics from the 1960s. That was really the fun part about telling this story, yeah. was making sure that we merged the past and the present in a seamless way, but still had sort of their own level of artistic distinction. And Marguerite did a bunch of research as well. Um, yeah. Even like the mom's clothing in those first flashback scenes is deliberately tuned for that time period. She yeah. spent a lot of time in, in New England and just, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> soaking up all the I don't know what do they, what do they do in New England JCPenney's catalogs yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we did on Long Island at least I can't imagine it's too different in another suburb of a city I just feel like everyone just wears lobster bibs there <laughs> just always eating lobster there's your formal lobster bib. There's yeah. like your Sunday family lobster yeah. bib. There's your, you know, weekday work night lobster bib. You get so much hate mail from New England now. <laughs> what? I-, I think I think that's something to be proud of. We don't have lobster bibs down here. We could use pasta splatter, I guess. I want to pivot a little bit to Carol as an angry hero. There's so much pressure on her to have these be able to express her feelings while being a hero. Because that first scene where she's beating up She's taking out her anger on villains who maybe deserve it, but not the beating she's giving them. It's a bit much. Um, But she's feeling something and she's working through it, albeit in the wrong place at the wrong time. But she's going to turn around and still be Carol Danvers, still be Captain Marvel. Can you talk about how she's able to express her anger and what it's like for the team to portray that? I mean, this was tough. We had a lot of internal discussions about how to balance that moment. But it also comes back to, like, Spider-Man has been allowed to have those moments. Iron Man has had those moments. Like, why can't Carol have a moment where she loses a little bit of control? And with the way that Margie built in this childhood tick of uh, the breathing problem and having it come back suddenly because of all of this anxiety that's surrounding her. I think it is just a moment of like, what would you do if you had all this pressure on you and you're suddenly expected to fight someone like Moonstone who's, you know, stolen your identity multiple times and like (laughs) tracked you all around the Marvel Universe? Um, You know, I think I would lose my shit too. So, yeah, I think 
it's meant to be like a human moment and she's there with her teammates who know her and can help pull her back and take care of her. I think it's also supposed to be a moment where you see the Avengers really care about her and know that something is wrong. Yeah, and she's having a panic attack, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, absolutely. I think panic attacks are so misunderstood. People don't really, some people don't think they're real. Some people think they're something much worse, but they're this really weird thing where your body just goes way out of control. And I'd have to think that when you're super powered, it's going even further than that. So she has this human wiring that's probably a little screwed up underneath all the super powered wiring that's maybe making it worse. Right. That's a bad panic attack. And it was also it's hung up on this idea that like she has legitimate unresolved issues like it's Father's Day. Right. And it starts triggering all these things inside of her that she's probably ignored for a very long time. You have to understand the last time that she was with her family in the stories, the last time that she like actually referenced her father or interacted with her father was like when he died. So she left the house. She was out. She couldn't handle it. She ended up leaving the house, getting in a fight with her family and then never returning. So what does that do to you when you ignore this, like this big trauma in your life? Like, do you even like move past it? Is she always stuck in that trauma? And the thing is, she is because she has been escaping it for so long. She has been delving into all of these other relationships and experiences, leaving the planet, literally, and she hasn't come back down to Earth in more ways than one. And this is sort of the beginning of that, of her being like, okay, I got to deal with this. Which I think is part of also why you see her stay with her brother, because she had this opportunity to do that with her dad when he was sick, and she couldn't get past all of the anger and resentment between them. So now she has kind of a moment of redemption to be able to do this for her brother. I love the scene in the in the graveyard where she like this is not a problem she can punch, but she there's something to punch yeah. Yeah. and something to to like get to, and she has that moment, and still it's just it's still not enough. There's that like yeah. gnawing. Yeah. Plus, it must make her f- just add another layer of guilt. She punched a gravestone. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, don't you think about like when you're really angry? Like, I the most I could do is like throw my phone, and maybe it'll dent. Like, maybe like imagine if you had all the strength in the world. Like, I'd be cracking things left and right. She could punch the moon and knock it out of orbit. (laughs) Thankfully, she didn't do that. We do have a moon moment in issue two. So speaking of, it's like you know the character, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just thinking about how convenient it would be if she had like just. Like having a punching bag in the office, a physical, actual punching bag. If she just had a meteor, she could use as a punching bag in orbit. <laughs> just fly up. Like, I've got to take a minute and then yeah. punch and then bring them. That's like, literally what happens in issue two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it? Yes. It's great. This Maybe I know Carol Danvers better than I thought I did. <laughs> no, this is a preview. Oh, you only get it here, guys. Yeah. Issue this two. Is magic. <laughs> this is really magic. Let's talk about. Carol's hair. I know that this is a very fraught issue for some people. I am a woman who has crappy hair and I can't grow it. And it's a struggle for me to deal with it. So it's often short. But when I cut it short, I feel like I don't look feminine enough. I look like a boy. There are expectations for us as women when we have our hair a certain way. When I saw Carol Danvers with short hair, it like sang to my soul in a way that I have a comic book character has never done before. But for me, it was just like, why would she deal with long hair? She's Captain Marvel. She's got to just cut that off. So excellent question. Oh, God. Yeah. So this, there's so much to this because there's a lot of history. There's a lot of controversy around us cutting her hair off. That was uh, very much like 
really Jamie McKelvey, I would say. Jamie McKelvey in the redesign and Kelly Sue and Steven going in and being like, okay, let's give her a totally different look. She is, by the way, an Air Force pilot. No one is really necessarily worrying about where am I put, put my hair in a ponytail? Like, she's going to chop her hair off. And what does that look like? And how do we have her the most sort of iconically sexy woman in the Marvel Universe? How do we change her in a way that still makes her look sexy and also still makes her look powerful? And I think that look did it because mm-hmm. I love that haircut. Um, I think it says everything about who she is. I think she still looks so freaking amazing. And Ed actually ended up creating, like, a real cult following for us because people started coming to conventions, to Women of Marvel panels, dressed up in the full getup and in that specific haircut uh, because everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's me. That's actually what I look like. Yeah. And what I want to look like. But it also created a lot of, you know, we got a lot of hate mail for it, too. People were really mad we cut off those luscious locks, as people have said. For the listeners at home... Ryan is melting into a puddle of frustration, (laughs) and that is exactly how uh, both of us feel. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to our daily lives as editors at Marvel. (laughs) Like, Carol Danvers with the short hair made me feel like I was looking at an accessible character that I could could actually relate to that. That makes sense to me, because I think there's a lot of people feeling like they can't really attain a comic book thing, which we're not really supposed to. But Right, but there's going to be aspects of superheroes that we can attain, yes. that we can be like. And that's sort of the idea. That's why I personally think Marvel characters are so special is because they have those aspects of relatability. And I think that's what's so great. That's why I love that's why I love our heroes. And that's kind of where the idea for, you know, chopping our hair off came from. Yeah, and even though we did see it growing, and I know you just said it was a controversial thing, but she's dealing with something that's so much bigger than herself that she would neglect herself. That's the idea. Yeah. Exactly. So for me, I feel anyone who's been through life (laughs) kind of relates to, oh, right, suddenly my hair is like down here. When did that happen? Oh, right, when I stopped paying attention to myself. Exactly. So that was, that made sense to me, too. I can't grow my hair out. It just gets big and puffy. I can imagine it, though, because I did see you with a wig uh, I looked a few months ago in the <laughs> Lorraine wig. Terrific. You did look terrific. Yeah. Um, <laughs> outside of Life of Captain Marvel, if you, Sona and Sarah, had to suggest comics or stories for someone who was new to uh, Carol Danvers, something to... Hi. Know, that, nice to meet you. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Do you have any favorites that you would suggest? Well, I would say, um, first of all, there's so many different kinds of Carol Danvers stories. Like, pick up anything and you'll have a great time. I would say go back to the original Kelly Sue run and just start from the beginning. It was, God, Kelly Sue, I'm forgetting the 2012? Yes, yeah, it was 2012. And Kelly just, you know, she pitches Carol Danvers as, as Chuck Yeager. And, like, that's kind of who I hear every single time she she's written a one line of Carol Danvers. But I think that really gives you an understanding of what she's all about. And just keep just keep going through there. Um, that would be my recommendation. Brian Reed, of course, like I said, had some good runs as well. Yeah, Kelly Sue is definitely, definitely where I would start because that is the galvanizing moment for her. But um, I would also go back and read uh, the House of M stuff and the lead up to Norman Osborn taking over the Avengers, the Dark Avengers material, because I think all, all of that stuff is really fun and really like shows Carol in the depths of it with these other Avengers who are being replaced and trying to figure out how to reclaim the whole world from these dark figures. Right on. 
All good stuff. Sonna, you've got Women of Marvel and, and Marvel Rising is happening right now. So many things. What are you most excited for right now that you're working on? Really everything. Uh, all of it. <laughs> but Rising is a very special property. We've been working on it for the last couple of years. And the shorts just came out. Marvel Rising Initiation shorts came out on Monday. And they're on Marvel HQ right now. And then we're going to be announcing. We have some more cool content coming out for Marvel Rising. I'm very excited about it. But we're going to be also announcing uh, when the feature drops very very soon so that's that's my precious little baby Those we're setting com- the last issue this week yes and Sarah is <laughs> oh my goodness Sarah is working on uh, the comics crossover of Ms. Marvel and Squirrel Girl called Marvel yep. Rising and yes and that goes this week right yep. yeah I've last loved one. that run like it's been so fun and just it's like, everything you love about Squirrel Girl comics and Ms. Marvel comics and uh, it was dynamite it was one of my picks a couple weeks ago um, and, one of the issues awesome. that came out. and can you believe they never hung out in the Marvel Universe until then? Yeah. Like, we were just like, wait yeah. a minute, how are they not friends already? Yeah. The scene where uh, Squirrel Girl introduces Kamala to all her crew is, you know, is so good. I just love <laughs> all that interaction. Sarah, what are you most excited about right now? I mean, I'm really excited about the Thor stuff that Jason Aaron and Mike Domundo are doing, um, leading into this big War of the Realms and uh, how that's going to affect the whole Asgardian universe. But I'm also really excited for the issue of Squirrel Girl that we're sending to print this week. It is a silent issue for all of the library lovers out there. So I would definitely encourage people to pick that one up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Cool. Awesome. Thank you all for joining us. Thank Thank you, guys. Thank you. Record scratch. Wait a minute. I'm actually at Mopop in Seattle. Well, no, I'm, I'm in a hotel room with evil producer Brandon. It's late at night and I'm being a jerk and I'm like, dude, we've got to record some stuff because I'm super hyped for a couple things uh, that are happening this week that we just cannot skip. Uh, first up is we've got a new Ironheart series. It's from writer Eve L. Ewing and artist Kevin Labranda. And yo, Eve is awesome. She's like an assistant professor at the University of Chicago. She's a writer who's been published in The New Yorker, Atlantic, New York Times, and she's got so many books and all kinds of accolades and awards. She's super powerfully smart and awesome cultural force that I'm just beyond ready to see what she does with Riri. Issue number one of Ironheart is on sale November 7th. Uh, You can see you know, designs that Kevin did, some new covers, all kinds of stuff. And I think we even have an interview with Eve.com. The other piece of news uh, that I just, I, I am been frothing at the mouth over for months, uh, and now that we can finally talk about it, is Conan is coming back and we actually have details on Conan the Barbarian, number one, written by your friend of mine, Jason Aaron, pencils by Mahmoud Asrar. You know him, he's doing X-Men Red right now, uh, and cover by Isad Rabik. Ugh. Can't wait for you guys to see all this stuff. It's so good. And, you know, like, this is it. He's coming back. It's a this sort of ages-spanning saga, and it's going to begin here. You don't want to miss this. A lot of our creators who are doing the comics that you love right now are inspired heavily by Conan. Uh, and, and so this is going to be the thing that's going to spark new generation, and you got to be there for it. That is coming January 2019. So we've been here at Mopop doing all kinds of just like amazing stuff going into it. I was like, oh, it's going to be great. It blew my freaking mind. It was amazing. We've got tons of video, uh, more audio and all kinds of fun stuff. Just like stay tuned. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to the feeds. Make sure you're checking out uh, Marvel's YouTube and social channels and Marvel.com and all the places because we're going to have a lot of stuff for you from the Marvel Universe of Superheroes exhibit. It's so cool, you guys. 